0: And it's on page 662. Sorry, 663. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me. And what answer I am to give this complaint? Then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, he is puffed up, his desires are not upright, but the righteous will live by his faith. Indeed, wine betrays him, he is arrogant and never at rest, because he is as greedy as the grave and, like death, is never satisfied. He gathers to himself all the nations and takes captive all the peoples. Will not all of them taunt him with ridicule and scorn, saying woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion? How long must this go on? Will not your debtors suddenly arise? Will they not wake up and make you tremble? Then you will become their victim, because you have plundered many nations, The peoples who are left will plunder you. For you have shed man's blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Woe to him who builds his realm by unjust gain, to set his nest on high, to escape the clutches of ruin. You have plotted the ruin of many peoples, shaming your own house and forfeiting your life. The stones of the wall will cry out, and the beams of the woodwork will echo it. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by crime! Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire, that the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord." as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it from the wine skin till they are drunk, so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. You will be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it is your turn. Drink and be exposed. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming around to you. And disgrace will cover your glory. The violence you have done to Lebanon will overwhelm you. And your destruction of animals will terrify you. For you have shed man's blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Of what value is an idol since a man has carved it? Or an image that teaches lies? For he who makes it trusts in his own creation... He makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life, or to a lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? It is covered with gold and silver. There is no breath in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him.
1: Next reading comes from Romans, chapter 3, verses 21 to 31. It is on page 797. How are you going? Got there? Let's do it. But now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe there is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by jesus christ jesus god presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood he did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished he did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It's excluded. On what principle? On that of observing the law? No, but on that of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Is God the God of the Jews only? Is He not the God of the Gentiles too? Yes, of the Gentiles too, since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law.
2: Let me pray for Father, we do thank you for your glorious word that continues to illuminate our lives. Thank you that you continue to transform us by your Spirit, uh, Lord. With this great uh, passage of Scripture, please help me to handle it correctly, and Lord, please help all each one of us here tonight to see Jesus. In His name, Amen. Listen to this quote from Him. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene i wonder how he could love me a sinner condemned and unclean how marvelous how wonderful and my song shall ever be how marvelous how wonderful is my savior's love for me how marvelous and how wonderful They're words of emotion, words of adoration, words of amazement uh, that Jesus would love me. And when the old hymn writers ponder the the cross of Jesus, when the old hymn writers meditate on, on that great event at Calvary, it seems to me that they are emotionally moved it seems to me that they are awestruck that the Lord Jesus Christ would do that for them and can it be that I should gain an interest in my Saviour's blood died he for me died he for me that I should gain amazing love how can it be that there my God would die for me and you can go through the old hymns and time and time and time again, as, as they meditate on the cross of Jesus Christ, there's that sense of awe and wonder and amazement and satisfaction and joy. Joy in the cross of Jesus Christ. And I do hope, my friends, that you've experienced that. I do hope that you've experienced that welling up of wonder and adoration and amazement and joy in Jesus as you looked at the cross of Jesus. Because when you have understood exactly what Jesus did for you 2,000 years ago at Calvary, the only response is to utter how marvelous, how wonderful that you do that for me. Maybe you've never quite got that Maybe you stood in church week after week and you've never understood what people are so amazed about. Maybe you're devoid of any emotions when you think about Calvary. Maybe you get it transactionally. You understand up here that Jesus died on your behalf, you understand that the punishment that you deserve is on him, but it's all theology, it's all theory. Maybe you've never felt that welling up of joy and wonder and amazement that he did it for you personally. And if that's the case, I do pray that you will leave here understanding of Romans 3 and singing how marvelous, how wonderful. Because my claim is that these verses will change your life. Big claim. It was Martin Luther who said this is the, the, the very central point of this epistle and the whole of the Bible. It's the most beautiful, beautiful passage of Scripture. Look at it with me, Romans 3, verse 21. But now, with the coming of Jesus, but now, a righteousness from God apart from the law has been revealed, has been made known. That verse, but now, it's like the the sun rising after a very long and dark night. And it's like that relief that that floods you as the period of agony and pain is over, because we've been in darkness for the last three weeks, haven't we? Right from chapter 1, verse 18, where the wrath of God is being revealed, Uh, Paul has told us that we are wicked, and we don't seek God, and we don't fear God, and he's meticulously shown us that That all people, Jew, Gentile, rich, poor, moral, and immoral, we're all sinful, we're all guilty, we're all speechless, and we are all condemned. That's the darkness. That's the blackness. It's chapter 3, verse 23, that one sentence summary. There's no difference. It's a, it's a, a level path. There's no difference. For all have sinned. Every man, woman, and child are a sinner before God, and they fall short of the glory of God. See, Life is not like the exam where at the top of the exam paper it says attempt any four questions, just do your best. God says to pass my exam you need to always do what is right and all the time. And you can't do it. We all are facing the wrath of our creator. We are facing his right, deserved, calculated, measured anger because of our sin and we deserve hell. That's the sobering thought. It doesn't matter whether you're at the bottom of the pit or the top of Mount Everest when it comes to your spiritual awareness. You can never reach heaven by yourself. You are helpless and you are hopeless and you need a savior. And that's why those words, but now, are such beautiful words. We needed God to step in and he's done that. We need God to save us. He has done that. And if you get this verse... Your hearts will cry out, how marvelous, how wonderful. Verse 21 is the key. It's just saying, God himself declares us righteous. Look at the verse with me. But now, with the coming of Jesus, because he died on the cross, a a righteousness, a, a righteousness from God. It's not your initiative, it's God's initiative. It's the part from the law. Paul's rammed that home, hasn't he? You can't keep the law. Law just makes you aware of how bad you really are. It's apart from law, and it has been made known. It has been revealed, if you want. It's not a secret anymore. Now, when was it known? When was it known, uh, revealed, how to be right with God? At a place called Calvary. That's the historical event that changed our world. But it's not new. Because verse 21, the law and the prophets testified to it. The whole of the Old Testament pointed to this amazing event. And it's all about God himself declaring us to be righteous. Uh, to be righteous just means that you're in a right standing with your maker. You're in a right relationship with your God despite your sin. In the, um, the Melanesian Pidgin English New, Tres- New Testament, imagine that. I love how they translate this verse. Listen carefully. It just says, God, he say, Im all right. God, he say, Im all right. And that's what we need. We need God just to say, I'm all right. Despite his failings, despite his sin, despite his wickedness, I'm declaring him to be all right with me. but we can't do that by ourselves. I'm going to give you four words tonight, four words that would leave you gasping how wonderful and how marvelous. Through the cross of Christ, here it is, the first word is justified. Do you see that in verse 24? We've all sinned, but verse 24, we are justified freely by his grace. That word justified is a legal term, it's a forensic term. It it literally means you you are acquitted by God. You are justly acquitted. God looks at you and He says, I declare this person to be not guilty. It's not about God letting you off the hook. You know, you've been a naughty boy, but off you go, it's okay. It's not about God. Sweeping your sins under the carpet. It's not about God treating you as though we are okay and turning a blind eye to our sin. He sees us in our sin, and for some reason, He says, But actually, He's not guilty. He is totally clean and totally right. To be justified is not like, it is not the same as being forgiven, it is more than just being forgiven. A judge can look at a criminal and says, that's okay, I forgive you. But he's still a criminal. He's still got a criminal record. A, a judge could say to the, the criminal, now off you go, I've let you off. I've let you off the penalty of your sins. deserve. I, I, I do forgive you, now off you go. It's not the same as that. It's more than that. To be justified is much more positive. It's saying, now in my sight, it's just as if you've never done anything wrong at all you are perfect in my sight i don't see any sin in you so come and live with me and enjoy me forever and that's what happened at calvary if you go to london and you went on the london eye on the london skyline there's two massive golden statues the first one is on the old bailey the courthouse and there's a, a statue there of what's called justice Uh, this woman, and she's got scales in one hand and she's got uh, a sword in the other. And and she weighs what you've done, you're found guilty, and the sword falls on you. And as you look at a certain point on this London Eye, uh, that uh, Statue of Justice is just masked by the golden cross of St. Paul's Cathedral. And that's a beautiful picture, that on that cross, God weighs us, God finds us guilty, the sword should fall on us, but it doesn't instead God sees his son on the cross and says no, you're justified I see you as perfect I see you as never sinned at all and he's done that for you at Calvary it's all by God's grace justified freely by God's generous gift, you can't earn it but Jesus did earn it didn't he you can't earn it Jesus earned it he was perfect but he chose to give it to you instead. That's the first word, justified. How marvelous. How wonderful. But how can God do that? How can a a just God declare someone who is blatantly guilty to be innocent? Here's your second word. It's the word redeemed. Redeemed. Say so verse 24 again, we're justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. He's just saying, well, God has redeemed you. God has set you free. God has delivered you. That's what the word redemption means. It's a costly deliverance. It's the buying of freedom. Do you remember how the Jews were slaves in Egypt? And they were held in captivity by the Egyptians and they were treated badly. And God delivered them at a cost. What was the cost? The blood of the lamb on the doorpost. In Jesus' time, that word redemption was really connected with the marketplace where the slaves were redeemed. The slaves were offered freedom for a price. There's a true story of, the, uh, of a slave girl. She was emaciated. She was lank and her hair was dirty and her face was staring in fear and in hopelessness she was just chained in a marketplace like a slave and a very wealthy man came by and his ma- his name was abraham lincoln he paid a huge sum of money and he redeemed that slave girl and the girl turned to him and said what do you want me to do for you i'll cook for you i'll clean for you i'll do whatever whatever you want i'll do it for you and he just said You don't owe me anything. You're free. Just go and live as a free person. And I hope you've understood that that's what Jesus did for you at Calvary. He freed you. He redeemed you from your weight of sin. From the burden of sin. You're no longer entrapped and enslaved by your sin but you've been set free to live as a free person. What did it cost God? It was very costly. It cost him the blood of his own son. you ever seen someone walk to freedom? Remember those pictures of Nelson Mandela walking to freedom? And just the smiles and the the jubilation and the celebration. Can you imagine if Chappelle Corby walks out as a free woman? There would be a party, a celebration. Whenever a hostage or a prisoner is set free, there is celebration. And so when you've understood that Jesus has delivered you and redeemed you, it's not a sort of miserable look on your face. You're free. You're delivered from your sins. That weight of sin has gone. And you just say, wow, how marvelous. How wonderful. But maybe you're still confused. How can God do that? Imagine a, a girl who says to a boyfriend, you don't love me, do you? And the boyfriend says, of course I love you. I, I'm going to show you that I love you. And he runs and he jumps off a cliff and he kills himself. How does that show his girlfriend that he really loves her? It doesn't benefit her at all. You've got to understand what the death of Jesus does, how it's shown that God really does love us. And my third word for you is, is the word propitiation. Propitiation is there in verse 25. God presented Jesus as a a propitiation or a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. The word propitiation or sacrifice of atonement is just the the turning away of of the wrath of God. God propitiates his anger at your sin through his son Jesus Christ. And again, you've got to understand this term. We don't like talking about God's wrath. So lots of translations say things like uh, Jesus' death covered your sins, and that is true. Jesus' death wipes away your sins. That is true, as though Jesus' death is a kind of disinfectant that, that just rubs out the sin. But the problem is not just your sin. The problem is God's anger at your sin. God's right, principled, measured anger at your wrongdoing and that anger needs to be poured somewhere, doesn't it? And it was poured on Jesus. Verse 25, God presented Jesus as the sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood. It's the language of the Levitical 16, day of atonement. Do remember that? God's in his temple. You can't approach God. He sets up this sacrificial system so every day, every single day, blood is shed so your sins can be atoned for. God's anger can be turned away at your sin. But on the day of atonement, you get these two goats. The first goat, uh, the sins are transferred onto, onto the head of the goat. The goat is slaughtered and blood is spilled, saying a life has been shed. A life has been shed on your behalf so my anger is turned away. The second goat, the sins are transferred and the goat is sent off into the desert and the sins are gone. They're gone, never to be seen again. And that's a picture that God's wrath has been turned away at your sin because blood has been shed, the blood of his son. God's wrath has been turned away because your sin is gone. See, see, who needs propitiating? God himself. He's the one who's angry. Who, propi- who provides the propitiation God himself. What was that sacrifice? God himself in the person of Jesus. And that was costly. Do you remember Jesus in the, the Garden of Gethsemane? As, as he prayed with, with that blood and that sweat and pouring tears saying, if there's any other way... He knew what was going to happen at Calvary. He knew that at Calvary, he himself would bear the full weight of the punishment and the anger of his father for the sins of the whole world. Can you imagine that? Your sin and my sin, the punishment, the anger at your selfishness and your pride and your immorality all poured out onto one person at one time in history and then you understand why Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God's anger has been turned away on that cross. On that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. Do you get it? The relief, the wonder. Not just that Jesus died for you, but God's wrath has been turned away. I've got one more word for you. Why would God do that? Yes, because he loves us. Of course he loves us. But here's my fourth word. It's the word justice. Verse 25, God did this to demonstrate, not his love, he was demonstrating his love, but he was also demonstrating his justice. So again in verse 26, he did it to demonstrate his justice. This is the bit of the cross we don't often get. God is showing us that he is just. God must be just, mustn't he? He he must punish wrong. And the innocent must be declared innocent. But how can God be just? When you read the Old Testament, you read of Moses and David and Jacob, and they sinned, and they didn't seem to be punished justly. Had God gone soft? He turned a blind eye to their sin? It makes no sense until you see the cross, verse 25, that God... Demonstrated his justice because in his patience, in his forbearance, he'd left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He didn't punish those sins, not because of his injustice, but because he always intended to punish those sins at Calvary. And it's the same today, verse 26. He demonstrated his justice today so as to be just, and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. God cannot sweeps sin under the carpet. That would be unjust. God cannot let people off the hook. That would be unjust. God cannot suddenly overcome his anger by his love. That would be unjust. But then the cross comes in. And listen very carefully. If you believe in the cross of Jesus, if you believe in the blood of Jesus, it would be unjust of God not to forgive of your sins. Because Jesus paid it all. He paid for your sins, past, present, and future. And and if God is suddenly demanding that that I or or you have to pay something else, when his son has already paid for it all, that would be unjust. The price has been paid. The blood has been shed. See, see, 1 John 1 makes sense now, doesn't it? If we confess our sins... If we come to Jesus, we trust in his blood and confess our sins, I say, I believe he died for me. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just. And he will forgive us our sins. Of course he is just. It would be unjust of God not to forgive us if we believed in Jesus because the price has been paid. You see those four words? I'm justified. I'm declared right and innocent. I've been delivered, I've been redeemed, I've been set free God's wrath has been propitiated his anger turned away and God's justice has been shown and I hope you're not just sitting there thinking that is really interesting I hope your heart is pounding and your, your spine is tingling and you're going that is totally amazing that Jesus would do that for me so that's what the cross does. It totally humbles you. Verse 27, where then is boasting? You can't boast. When you see it was all down to Jesus, not about you, boasting goes straight out of the window. Please don't tell me how much Bible knowledge you have, what you've achieved in life, how successful you are, or how many good works you do. It's about coming to the cross every day, looking to the face of Jesus and saying, how wonderful marvellous. The other thing it does, it completely wipes out any discrimination. There's no difference. All have sinned and all need a saviour. And if you hold on to these four words, I'm justified, I'm redeemed, God's wrath is propitiated and God is just, it just changes who you are. You're a wretched, filthy, dirty, wicked sinner (laughs) who God declares as innocent and God has set free and his anger has been turned away all because of Jesus. And I challenge you, my friends, I challenge you to understand these verses and not to cry out how marvelous How wonderful. And if you're not, my guess is you've never really understood (laughs) that He did it for you personally. It's more than theory, it's more than theology. This is reality. You need a Savior. You've got a Savior. His name's Jesus. I'm going to pray. I'll invite the musicians forward and we're going to respond in song with the only song that we can sing which is how marvelous and how wonderful. Father, we stand before you amazed at what Jesus did for us. Father, we do acknowledge that we are wretched sinners who fail you every day, fail to live for you, fail to honour you, fail to have been the glory that you deserve. And yet you love us. Father, I praise you for that event that changed the world, that changed history, that your precious son would Humbly walk to Calvary. Thank you that we stand here tonight justified, right with you and innocent in your sight. We stand here redeemed and delivered and set free. Lord, we thank you that, that your wrath, your anger that we deserve is being placed on the shoulders of your son. And so we don't fear that thank you that you are just and you will forgive us our sins and we just say Lord Jesus thank you we adore you